Chapter Thirty of the Mother's Recompense by Edith Wharton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Anne Fletcher, Richmond, Tasmania, two thousand and twenty-one. Chapter Thirty. Kate Clefane was wakened by the slant of Riviera sun across her bed. The hotel was different. It was several rungs higher on the ladder than the Minor Quel Univers, as its name, the Petit Palais, plainly indicated. The bedroom, too, was bigger, more modern, more freshly painted, and the corner window of the tiny adjoining salon actually clipped a wedge of sea in its narrow frame. So much was changed for the better in Mrs. Clefane's condition. In other respects, she had the feeling of having simply turned back a chapter and begun again at the top of the same dull page. Her maid, Eline, was obviously of the same opinion. In spite of the more commodious room and the sitting-room with its costly inset of sea, Mrs. Clefane had not recovered her lost prestige in Aileen's estimation. What was the good of all the fuss if it was to end in this? Aileen's look seemed to say every morning when she brought in the breakfast tray. Even the fact that letters now lay on it more frequently and that telegrams were no longer considered epoch-making did not compensate for the general collapse of Aileen's plans and ambitions. When one had had a good roof over one's head and a good motor at one's door, what was the sense of bolting away from them at a moment's notice and coming back to second-rate hotels and rattling taxis, with all the loss of consequence implied? Aileen remained icily silent when her mistress, after a few weeks at the Petit Palais, mentioned that she had written to inquire about prices at Dinard for the summer. Kate Clefane, on the whole, took the change more philosophically. To begin with, it had been her own choice to fly as she had, and that in itself was a help, at times, and then, well, yes, already, after the first weeks, she had begun to be aware that she was slipping back, without too much discomfort, into the old groove. The first month after her arrival wouldn't yet bear thinking about, but it was well behind her now, and habit was working its usual miracle. She had been touched by the welcome her old friends and acquaintances had given her, and exquisitely relieved, after the first plunge, to find herself again among people who asked no questions about her absence, betrayed no curiosity about it, and probably felt none. They were all very much occupied with each other's doings when they were together, but the group was so continually breaking up and reshaping itself, with the addition of new elements, and the departing scattered in so many different directions and towards destinations so unguessable, that, once out of sight, they seemed to have no more substance or permanence than figures twitching by on a film. This sense of unsubstantiality had eased Kate Clefane's taut nerves, and helped her to sink back almost unaware into her old way of life. Enough was known of her own existence in the interval. A shadowy glimpse of New York opulence, an opera box, a massive and important family, a beautiful daughter married to a war hero, to add considerably to her standing in the group. But her Riviera friends were all pleasantly incurious as to details. In most of their lives there were episodes to be bridged over by verbal acrobatics, and they were all accustomed to taking each other's fibs at their face value. 
of mrs crefane they did not even ask any she came back handsomer better dressed yes my dear actually sables and she offered them cocktails and mahjong in her own sitting-room with a view of the sea thrown in they were glad of so useful a recruit and the distance between her social state and theirs was not wide enough to awaken acrimony or envy aileen the maid's door was just across the passage now she appeared almost at once bearing a breakfast tray on which were several letters violets she announced with a smile aileen's severity had of late been tempered by an occasional smile but mrs cliffane did not turn her head her colour did not change these violets were not from the little lame boy whose bouquet had flushed her with mysterious hopes on the day when her daughter's cable had called her home the boy she had set up for life it had been her first thought after landing because of that happy coincidence to-day's violets embodied neither hope nor mystery she knew from whom they came and what stage in what game they represented and lifting them from the tray after a brief sniff she poured out her chocolate with a steady hand aileen perceptibly rebuffed but not defeated put the flowers into a glass on her mistress's dressing-table there the gesture said she can't help seeing them mrs clefane leaned back against her pink-lined pillows and sipped her chocolate with deliberation she had not yet opened the letters or done more than briefly muster their superscriptions none from her daughter anne at the moment was halfway across the red sea on her way to india and there would be no news of her for several weeks to come none of the letters was interesting enough to be worth a glance mrs clefane went over them once or twice as if looking for one that was missing then she pushed them aside and took up the local newspaper she had got back into her old habit of lingering on every little daily act making the most of it spreading it out over as many minutes as possible in the effort to cram her hours so full that there should be no time for introspection or remembrance and she read the paper carefully from the grandiloquent leading article on the wonders of the approaching carnival to the column in which the doings of the local and foreign society were glowingly recorded the flower of the american colony and the most distinguished french and foreign notabilities of the riviera will meet this afternoon at the brilliant reception which mrs parley plush has organized at her magnificent villa mimosa in honour of the bishop of the american episcopal churches in europe oh to be sure it was to-day kate clefane laid down the newspaper with a smile she was recalling mrs minity's wrath when it had been announced that the reception for the new bishop was to be given by mrs parley plush mrs plush of all people mrs minity was not an active member of the reverend mr merriman's parochial committees her bodily inertia and the haunting fear of what might happen if her coachman tried to turn the horses in the narrow street in which the rectory stood debarred her from such participation but she was nevertheless a pillar of the church by reason of a small but regular donation to its fund and a large and equally regular commentary on its affairs mr merriman gave her opinions almost the importance she thought they deserved 
and a dozen times in the season mrs merriman was expected to bear the brunt of her criticisms and persuade her not to give up her pew and stop her subscription that woman mrs minity would cry whom i have taken regularly for a drive once a fortnight all winter and supplied with brandy peaches when i had to go without myself mrs minity on the occasion of the last drive had not failed to tell mrs merriman what she thought of the idea put forward of course by mrs plush herself of that lady's being chosen to entertain the new bishop on his first tour of his diocese the scandal was bad enough did mrs merriman want mrs minity to tell her what the woman had been what her reputation was no mrs merriman would rather not she probably knew well enough herself if she had chosen to admit it but for mrs minity the real bitterness of the situation lay in the fact that she herself could not eclipse mrs plush by giving the reception because she lived in a small flat instead of a large a vulgarly large villa no don't try to explain it away my dear this to kate clefane the day after mrs merriman had been taken on the latest of her penitential drives don't try to put me off with that rectory humbug everybody at home knows that mrs parley plush came from anaconda georgia and everybody in anaconda knows what she came from and now because she has a big showy villa at least so they tell me for naturally i've never set foot in it and never shall now that she's been whitewashed by these poor simple-minded merrimans who have lived in this place for twenty years as if it were a quaker colony the woman dares to put herself forward as the proper person <laughs> mrs parley plush proper <laughs> to welcome our new bishop in the name of the american colony well said mrs minity in the voice of cassandra if the bishop knew a quarter of what i do about her and what i dare say it is my duty as a member of this diocese to tell him but there what am i to do my dear with a doctor who absolutely forbids all agitating discussions and warns me that if anybody should say anything disagreeable to me i might be snuffed out on the spot kate clefane had smiled these little rivalries were beginning to amuse her again and the amusement of seeing mrs minity appear as of course she would at mrs plush's that afternoon made it seem almost worth while to go there mrs clefane reached out for her engagement book scrutinized the day's page and found with another smile this one at herself that she had already noted down plush yes it was true she knew it herself she still had to go on cramming things into her days things good bad or indifferent it hardly mattered which as long as they were crammed tight enough to leave no chinks for backward glances her old training in the art of taking things easily all the narcotic tricks of evasion and ignoring had come gradually to her help in the struggle to remake her life of course she would go to mrs plush's just as surely as mrs minity would the day was glorious exactly the kind of day all the ladies said on which one would want the dear bishop to have his first sight of his new diocese the whole strength of the anglo-american colony was assembled on mrs plush's flowery terraces among the beds of cineraria and cyclamen and the giant blue china frogs 
which as mrs plush said made the garden look more natural mrs plush herself sailed majestically from group to group keeping one eye on the loggia through which the bishop and mr merriman were to arrive ah oh, dear lord charles this is kind you'll find all your friends here yes mrs clefane is over there at the other end of the terrace mrs plush beamed waving a tall disenchanted-looking man in the direction of a palm-tree emerging from a cushion of pansies mrs clefane from under the palm had seen the manoeuvre and smiled at that also she knew she was lord charles's pretext for coming to the reception but she knew also that he was glad to have a pretext because if he hadn't come he wouldn't have known any more than she did what to do with the afternoon there was nothing she sometimes felt that she didn't know about lord charles though they had met only three months ago he was so exactly what medical men call a typical case and she had had such unlimited time and opportunity for the study of his particular type the only difference was that he was a gentleman a gentleman still while the others most of them never had been or else had long since abdicated that with the rest as he moved over the sunlit gravel in her direction she asked herself for the hundredth time what she meant to do about it marry him god forbid even if she had been sure and in her heart of hearts she wasn't that he intended to give her the chance fall in love with him that too she shrugged away let him make love to her well a little perhaps when one was too lonely and because he was the only man at all possible in their set but what she wanted most of him was simply to fill certain empty hours to know that when she came home at five he would be waiting there half the days of the week by her tea-table that when she dined out people would be sure to invite him and put him next to her that when there was no bridge or marjong going he would always be ready for a tour of the antiquity shops and so sharp at picking up bargains for the little flat she had in view that was all she wanted of him perhaps all he wanted of her but the possibility of his wanting more at which the violets seemed to hint produced an uncertainty not wholly disagreeable especially when he and she met in company and she guessed the other women's envy one has to have something to help one out it was the old argument of the drug-takers well call lord charles her drug why not when she was so visibly his she settled herself in a garden-chair and watched his approach it was a skilful bit of manoeuvring she knew he intended to eliminate the bores and join her only when there was no danger of their being disturbed she could imagine how in old days he would have stalked contemptuously through such a company without a glance to right or left but not now he had reached a phase in his decline when it became prudent to pause and admire the view at mrs plush's side exchange affabilities with the consul's wife nod familiarly to mr paley and even suffer himself to be boisterously hailed by mrs horace betterley who came clinking down the loggia steps to shout out a reminder that they had counted on him for dinner that evening 
it was the fate of those who had to stuff their days full and could no longer be particular about the quality of the stuffing kate could almost see the time when lord charles very lean and wizened would be collecting china frogs for mrs plush he was half-way across the terrace when a sudden expanding and agitating of mrs plush's plumes seemed to forerun the approach of the bishop an impressive black figure appeared under the central arch of the loggia mrs plush surged forward every fold of her drapery swelling but the new arrival was not the bishop it was only mrs minity who clothed in black cashmere and majesty paused and looked about her mrs plush checked in her forward plunge stood an instant rigid almost tilted backward her right hand sketched the gesture of two barely extended fingers then her just resentment of mrs minnity's strictures was swept away in the triumph of having her there at last and mrs plush swept on full sail welcoming her unexpected guest as obsequiously as if mrs minnity had been the bishop kate clefane looked on with lazy amusement she could enjoy the humours of her little world now that her mind was more at leisure she hoped the scene between mrs plush and mrs minnity would prolong itself and was getting up to move within earshot when the bishop supported by mr and mrs merriman at length appeared mrs clefane stopped short half-way across the terrace she had never dreamed of this never once thought it possible yet now she remembered that dr arklow had been spoken of at the drovers as one of the candidates for this new diocese and there he stood on the steps just above her benignant and impressive as when she had last seen him at st stephen's placing anne's hand in chris fenno's mrs clefane's first impulse was to turn and lose herself in the crowd the sight of that figure brought with it too many banished scenes and obliterated memories back they all rushed on her fiercely importunate she felt their cruel fingers at her throat for a moment she stood irresolute detached in the middle of the terrace then just as she was turning she heard mrs plush's trumpet call mrs clefane oh yes of course there she is dear mrs clefane the bishop has spied you out already he seemed to reach her in a stride so completely did his approach span distances and wipe out time she saw herself sitting again in a deep leather armchair under the photogravure of salisbury cathedral while he paced the worn rug before the hearth and his preacher's voice broke on the words sterile pain shall we walk a little way the garden seems very beautiful the bishop suggested they stood by a white balustrade under mimosa boughs and exchanged futilities about the blueness of the sea and the heat of the sun a new york february <laughs> oh yes don't you envy us day after day of this oh of course a puff of mistral now and then but then that's healthy and the flowers <laughs> he laid his large hand deliberately on hers my dear when are you coming home to new york she felt her face just brushed by the understanding look she had caught twice before in his eyes to new york never 
he waited as if to weigh the answer and then turned his eyes on the mediterranean never is a long word there is someone there who would be very happy if you did she answered precipitately it would never have been what he imagines oh isn't he the best judge of that he thinks you ought to have given him the chance she dropped her voice to say i wonder he can ask me to think of ever living in new york again oh, he doesn't ask it of you i'm charged to say so he understands fully he would be prepared to begin his life again anywhere it lies with you there was a silence at length she mastered her voice enough to say yes i know i'm very grateful it's a comfort to me mm, no more she waited again and then lifting her eyes caught once more the understanding look in his i don't know how to tell you how to explain it seems to me my refusing she lowered her voice still more the one thing that keeps me from being too hopeless too unhappy she saw the first tinge of perplexity in his gaze the fact of refusing the fact of refusing oh it was useless he would never understand how could she have imagined that he would but this is really your last word the very last he questioned mildly oh it has to be it has to be it's what i live by she almost sobbed no he would never understand his face had once more become blank and benedictory he pressed her hand and said my dear child i must see you again we must talk of this and passed on urbane and unperceiving her eyes filled for a moment her loneliness came down on her like a pall it was always so whenever she tried to explain not only to others but even to herself yet deep down in her deeper far than her poor understanding could ever reach there was something that said no whenever that particular temptation stirred in her something that told her that as fred lander's pity had been the most precious thing he had to give her so her refusal to accept it her precipitate flight from it was the most precious thing she could give him in return he had overcome his strongest feelings his most deep-rooted repugnance he had held out his hand to her in the extremity of her need across the whole width of his traditions and his convictions and she had blessed him for it and stood fast on her own side and this afternoon when she returned home and found his weekly letter as she was sure she would since it had not come with that morning's post she would bless him again bless him both for writing the letter and for giving her the strength to hold out against its pleadings perhaps no one else would ever understand assuredly he would never understand himself but there it was nothing on earth would ever again help her help to blot out the old horrors and the new loneliness as much as the fact of being able to take her stand on that resolve 
of being able to say to herself whenever she began to drift toward new uncertainties and fresh concessions that once at least she had stood fast shutting away in a little space of peace and light the best thing that had ever happened to her end of chapter thirty end of the mother's recompense by edith wharton